Today we're going to talk about revival. Revival. God revives is the title of our message. Say that with me. God revives. One more time. God revives. Message about revival. Everything of man will let you down. Everything of man will let you down. And when everything of man lets you down, God will raise you up. Because God revives. He's for us. God is for you. You believe that this morning? God is for you. And, and we're going to see that in our scripture today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to meet me in Psalm 85. Psalm 85. So take your Bibles and just open to right about the middle of your Bible. You should find the book of Psalms right in the middle of your Bible. And Psalm 85 is where we'll be. It's a psalm about revival. It's a psalm for us, a psalm for our church, a psalm for our country. It's a psalm about believing in God again. God revives. Hmm. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. So this psalm would be sung in worship, and it was composed by the sons of Korah. Who was Korah? Korah was a Levite. Levite, the Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and the tribe of Levi uh, was the priestly tribe. So the priests who served in the tabernacle and then the temple and part of the worship service involves singing, and Psalm 85 was one of the songs that would have been sung. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. And you see that word selah? That's a musical term. It's a rest. It just means sit in that for a moment. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry forever with us? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. 
Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This is God's word. Amen. So Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher in England, once preached this psalm. And this is what he said to his congregation. First words out of his mouth after he read this psalm. He said, brethren, if you will pray this psalm, it will be better than my preaching from it. And then he said, my only motive in preaching from it is that you might pray it. Psalm 85, the the center of the psalm is verse 6. That's that's bullseye right there. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Anybody here need revival today? Yeah. Yeah, anybody here with fatigued faith? Anybody here with beleaguered belief? Anybody? Psalm 85 is for you. Anybody here feeling guilty? Anybody here worried that you've crossed a line with God and you can never go back? And you're thinking, you're thinking, I I am in a mess. I caused this mess. I am a mess. Psalm 85 is for you. Anybody here just weary? You're just running on fumes. You're thinking if, if after all we've been through, if something else drops, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't think I have the strength to get through it. I mean, I am, I am out of reserves. I got nothing left. I got nothing left. Anybody here feel you got nothing left? Psalm 85 is for those who feel they have nothing left. Anybody here wish you had more joy? Anybody here wish you had more joy? You're thinking, God, it's summertime. You know, the rain is gone. My sump pump has stopped running. I should feel happier. I should have soaring joy, laughing joy, happy joy. God, but I don't have that. I want that. We want that. Psalm 85 is for you. Psalm 85 is a question that becomes a cry, then a lament, then a plea, all in one. Revive us again, God, so that we may rejoice in you. There it is. That's a big idea. Revive us so that we may rejoice in you. God, revive us. In verse 6, the word revive means to give life, to reinvigorate, to restore, to refresh. Oh, the Bible loves the language of revival, renewal, and freshness. And do you know why? It's because the living God is not the curator of an ancient religious museum. The living God is the primary resident of a living temple where exhausted sinners become nothing less than the dwelling place of God. That's why. 
Revival is the living God visiting us and touching us with the fullness of his blessing. Revival is the risen Christ in residence and his felt presence. That's revival. It is Jesus Christ breathing on us saying, receive the Holy Spirit and the result is joy. Joy and rest. Revival is rest in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, 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 and revival, you get in verse 6 there, in Psalm 85 verse 6, the word you is emphatic. It's bold. It's underlined. Will you not revive us again? In other words, Lord, we're looking beyond ourselves. When we depended on ourselves and our strength and our effort, then we were depressed and discouraged and depleted. But with you is steadfast love, verse 7. With you is peace, verse 8. With you is glory, verse 9. Will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us again, see? So, so you know what that means. It means that we don't schedule revivals. I think I'll have a revival today at 11 o'clock. And all of heaven giggles. We don't schedule revivals. God schedules revivals. It's on his timetable. And we must be patient. (laughs) We must be patient. Some of us hear the word revival and we're thinking of when we grew up to, you know, the evangelistic revival meetings. I don't know if you went to those growing up. I did. In our church, we had those. And revival can come from that, but, but we're talking about something even beyond that. Because revival is the Lord himself, the living one, making our congregation come alive. It is Jesus Christ renewing us and returning us. The Holy Spirit renews our hearts so that we can return to the Father where we rejoice in Christ. Renewal, return, rejoicing. Jesus Christ did not come to make death more palatable. He came to make life more abundant. And I can't think of anything our city, our state, and our nation needs more than a congregation alive in Christ. But you see, it starts with, do you see the phrase? Your people. Your, you forgave the iniquity of your people. So revival, oh, we'd like to have our elbows cocked and nudge the person next to us and say, God, revive her. Fix him. Repair them. Revive them. (laughs) And and I don't know if heaven's giggling at that. No, it starts with us. It starts with us. Your people. Revive your people, O Lord. And so I want you to see the flow of this psalm. Psalm 85, the flow of this psalm. This psalm moves from past revival to present revival 
and then to future revival. So Psalm 85 asks God to act now as God had acted in the past with full confidence that he will act in the future. So verses one through three concern revival past. Verses four through nine concern revival present. And verses 10 through 13 concern revival in the future, the revival to come. Let's follow that timeline beginning with past revival. It sounds like this. God, your grace was so good. Your grace was so good. Verses one through three, the psalmist cries out, Lord, you were favorable. You were favorable. You restored. You forgave. You covered. You withdrew. You turned from your hot anger. So God is the subject of these verbs. God is the main actor in revival. Now, these three verses refer to the year 539 B.C., when Cyrus of Persia allowed Israel to return to their promised land after their time in Babylonian exile. After 70 years in Babylonian exile, then Persia came to power. And 2 Chronicles 36.23 says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. You talk about revival. Psalm 85 tells how this felt. Fortunes restored. Iniquity, verse 2, forgiven. Literally, iniquity lifted. It's like a crushing boulder on my back was lifted. And the scripture says sin was covered. And the psalmist says just salah, pause. Think about that. Think about that. Would you? Some of you can look back to that moment in your past when you came back to God and you were tired of living life on your own terms and you were tired of living life on others' terms. You were tired of trying to measure up. You were exhausted from enoughness. That's how one author put it, enoughness. He wrote, listen carefully in our culture and you'll hear the word enough everywhere, especially when it comes to anxiety and loneliness and exhaustion and division. You'll hear about people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, wealthy enough, influential enough, desired enough, charitable enough, good enough. We believe instinctively that, you know, were we to reach some benchmark in our minds then, then value, vindication, love, and worth would be ours. That if we got enough, we would be enough. The problem is, when is enough enough? We never know, do we? And Israel's exile was the outcome of their failure to believe in the enoughness of God. Why else would they have pursued idols? Why else do we? The enoughness of God is clearly heard in Jesus' own words. Listen to our Lord. Just listen to our Lord and let this lift the boulder on your back. Our Lord said 
in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are weary laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Does anybody need soul rest today? Is your soul tired? Listen to our Lord. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God offers enoughness in Christ. We confess and God lifts. We come to him and he covers the sin. You covered all their sin. Now, in verse 2, cover does not mean cover up. Cover means that God deprives sin of its authority and power over your life. That's what it means. And as a result, we're free. You want to be free? You want to be free? Today's Freedom Day. Well, let's talk about that. It is not the person whose independence lets them do whatever it is they want to do. That's not freedom. That's bondage. True freedom is life under the rule of Christ. True freedom is a clean conscience. No secrets. No posing. No masks. True freedom is knowing and feeling God's pleasure over you when he says, because of Jesus, you are enough. Because of my son, you are enough. True freedom is not God tolerating us, but God celebrating us as his adopted children. He chose us. That's freedom. And true freedom rests on God's ability to keep his promises, not my ability to keep his commands. And some of us, some of us, though, have a hard time accepting that. We have a hard time accepting grace. We have a hard time believing that there's absolutely nothing that we bring to the table to merit God's love and acceptance. We long to be good enough. We strive to be religious enough or righteous enough or worthy enough. And then you add this to a world of reciprocity a world where love given is expected to be reciprocated by love, a quid pro quo conditionality, and then a mindset seeps in that, well, maybe this is the way it is with God. And though we would never be so bold to say it out loud in church, some of us think that God loves us for all the good we do to him. And we volunteer in the church, and we're kind, and we serve, and we preach, and we enter vocational ministry. You're welcome, God. And Psalm 85 reminds us that grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. And that makes Psalm 85 for people like us. Psalm 85 is for people who are out of excuses. 
and who are scared at the chance that maybe life might be over for them. It's for people who realize that we have no one to blame but ourselves and that God owes us nothing and we're heartsick over the mess we've made so we're looking back up to heaven one last time for life and hope and a future that only God can give. God, if you don't come through, I, I, am, I, I don't have anything else. I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Nothing. My hands are empty. Listen to me. Listen to me. St. Augustine said this 1,500 years ago. He was a pastor in northern Africa 1,500 years ago, he said this, and people still remember it. He was a good pastor. <laughs> he said this, God only gives to empty hands. Is your hand empty today? Well, watch out. Because you're about to you're about to be ambushed by the grace of God. And it's good. That's good. That's verses one through three. Past revival. Well, let's talk about present revival. So, so, oh God, your grace was so good. That's revival in the past. And here, here's the revival in the present. God, give us grace again. Give us grace again. Again, it, it's a key word in Psalm 85. You see it? It's in verse 4. Restore us again. Verse 6. Revive us again. Again. It's an important word. Don't pass it by. Why again? Well, well we need God to revive us again because we run down. That's why. We wear out. We, we, we can't live today on what God gave yesterday. His mercies are new every morning. Our needs are endless, but so is his newness. So in verses one through three, the psalmist recalls God's grace in the past, but then in verses four through nine, the psalmist keeps asking for it. He keeps asking for it. In verses one through three, Cyrus of Persia let the exiles return home. So that's 539 BC. And when Israel returned from Babylon back to Judah, that was meant to activate the reconstruction of Jerusalem and the reformation of the nation. And the foundation of their reformation was nothing less than the word of God. But you and I both know that it's one thing to reconstruct city walls, and it's another thing to reform lives. And almost a hundred years later, there should have been more progress, but there wasn't. And that's what we learn in Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah tell the sad, familiar story of complacency and compromise. And the sad reality in verses 4 through 7 was that God's people had lapsed into spiritual mediocrity. Israel had been resting on past blessings, verses 1 through 3, and they needed revival again. And it doesn't mean that what they received before wasn't real. It means that they leak. People leak. 
But the good news is that for every again of our sin, there is an even greater again of his grace. And so Psalm 85 is for the church that realizes, you know, we're not what we used to be. We're not what we ought to be or want to be. It's been too long since the immediacy of God's presence has been a vital reality in our midst. It's time for us to seek the Lord together. And that's the burden of Psalm 85. A a good church with a strong past still needs to seek the Lord for a fresh visitation in the present. Even good churches need revival. Even mature Christians need revival. Might our marriages need revival? You think about a husband and a wife walking together. and Sometime during their marriage, they went through a rocky season, but they pursued one another. And they were knit together, and their reunion was as sweet as verses 1 through 3. But even though this husband and wife had been back together for some time, things kind of changed the glow of their rekindled romance faded they no longer walk hand in hand they don't speak as tenderly as before their hearts are beginning to cool toward one another it's not as bad as it was but it's not as good as it could be and so psalm 85 challenges us are you willing to settle for not as bad as it was When the best is yet to come. See, the best is yet to come. And and so feeling the loss, the wife finally stops and turns to her husband and says, take me in your arms again. That's Psalm 85, verses 4 through 7. Oh, God, take us in your arms again. We want you, God. We want you. What do you want? What do you want? You want God Have you ever said, I'll never do that again, only to do it again a few days later? I mean, if you're a Christian at some point in your walk with the Lord, I mean, you're going to feel stuck. So how do we get from it's not as bad as it was to the best is yet to come? How do we get there? Well, look at the text. The scripture tells us. It's in verse 8. The psalmist says, let me hear what the Lord will speak. Let me hear. Uh, uh, In other words, I so want to hear what you have to say, God. Now, do you really? Do you? Because you see, listen to me. God does not speak so that we might evaluate what he says. God speaks to be obeyed. He speaks to be obeyed. Uh, Brett McCracken has written an excellent article titled, The Depressing Dead End of Your Truth. Your truth are two words that have become so entrenched in our world today that we hardly recognize them for the incoherent nightmare that they are. Among other things, your truth autonomy destroys families when a dad suddenly decides his truth is calling him to a new lover, a new family, or maybe even a new gender. Your truth autonomy pitches the individual self as the primary source of truth. Follow your heart, live your truth, and so on and so forth. 
in the, you, in, in the your truth universe, authorities of every kind outside the self are questioned. Authenticity and expressive individualism are ultimate values. Institutions in the your truth universe now exist to affirm us, not form us. And your truth autonomy is a philosophy that can destroy entire societies because invariably one person's truth will wage war on another person's truth and devoid of reason, only power decides the victor. We may be free to choose the sources of where we look for truth. We may be free to choose how we synthesize truth and apply it as wisdom in everyday circumstances, but we're not free to choose whether or not something is true because we don't invent truth. We don't determine it. We search it out and discover it and accept it with gratitude even when it is at odds with our feelings or preferences the depressing dead end of your truth. And the inevitable, tru- the, inevitable, uh, the, inevitable, the inevitable fruit of your truth autonomy is in verse eight. It's the word folly. You see that? That's the inevitable fruit of your truth. It's just folly. And, and, and beloved, folly is not just bad judgment, it's bad character. And verse 8 invites us to live in a world of truth because every word of God is true. Every word of God is life. And revival comes when the life of God visits my life, our lives, and the result is peace and salvation and glory. And the glory of the gospel is that truth put on flesh and spoke. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he absorbed God's wrath. That is, that is God's, ra- God's wrath is not his is not angry, temperamental moodiness. No. God's wrath in the Bible is his staunch determination to eradicate evil. And Jesus took this on himself for me as my substitute for my salvation. Verse 9. It is for those who fear him. That is... That is those who want him, those who honor him, those who respect him, those who love him. What do you want? Do you want to live in the lonely, solitary confinement of your truth autonomy? Or do you want to live in the glorious community of peace with saints who love hearing God speak. Can you imagine such a world? What if, as a result of our prayer gatherings this month in July on Wednesday nights with other brothers and sisters in Christ from congregations all over the cities, what if, as a result of these prayer gatherings, God visited our community and his presence was filled with joy? 
What would that look like? What does such a community look like? Oh, that's where we get to future revival. This is where the, this is where the juice is in verses 10 through 13. Oh, God, your grace was so good. Oh, God, give us your grace again. And then in the future, the Lord will give his grace. And that is good. Verses 10 through 13. The psalmist says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that poetic? It's, it's just such image rich. I mean, wow. Wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that in church? Peace and righteousness, just embracing and kissing one another. What would that be for peace and righteousness to come together and just start making out in church? Wow. That's what my Bible says. That's what's going on there. He's only a poet. Can you imagine that? And that's what this is. It's a song. It's a poem. It's poetry. My goodness. My goodness. And that is home. That's home. Verses 10 through 13, that's our homeland. You know, why, you know why you struggle to feel at home here? It's because we're not at home yet. And when we're finally at home, the very character traits of God will embrace and hug and kiss and, and, and our home will be a land of flourishing crops. But look at the fields. That's not corn growing up there. What does the psalmist say? Look at the fertile fields of faithfulness. It's faithful. You thought it was corn. It's not. It's faithfulness. And all the rays that are falling from the sky, what's that? Righteousness. Righteousness. See, and, and see the streets of justice and peace, paved, smooth glass, inviting just walk here. Just walk here. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the, that's is our destiny right here. This is our destiny. Lord, give us what is good. That's revival. That's revival. Now, church family, please hear me. Our ministry, our ministry, in our community, in our country, is to start living that future reality right here, right now. And when when we do, when a church experiences revival, verses 10 through 13 start feeling real. And two results happen. First, we take the roof off. We take the roof off. Oh, and whatever gets between us and God above, we remove it. And we, we let God come down and we remove every barrier. We stop putting limits on him. The Holy Spirit falls and we start taking God seriously. We start treating God as if he's real and present. And we admit that this is not our church anymore. It's his and his alone. No roof. No roof. And the second result is this. After the roof comes off the walls go down. 
And when revival happens, we're a church without walls. And we come together and we unite in the truth of Jesus and the spirit of worship and prayer and praise and our love for one another. And we get transparent about our own failings and weaknesses. And then having experienced this as a congregation, we invite the whole city to taste and see that the Lord is good. And then we learn how wonderful it is to live in space where there's no roof and no walls and the Lord is present and we are finally revived. I want that. I want that. And so the psalmist says, yes, Lord. Revive us again that we may rejoice in you. Surely your salvation is near to those who fear you so that glory may dwell in the land. And God's people said, amen.